0: That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24.
1: Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers.
2: Good morning, everybody, and welcome to the Stochastic NBA Strategy Show. While you come in, like the video, subscribe to the YouTube channel. Also, we're sponsored today by BetMGM, so shout out to them. I'm going to give you guys an offer. We can get $200 for free for BetMGM a little bit later on in the show. But 11-game NBA slate, so a little bit of odd scheduling to start the year. We've gone two basketball games, 12 basketball games, two basketball games, 11 basketball games. They were on the larger slate size. Adam, what's going on? Do you prefer the 11 or the two game slate?
3: If those are the options, I prefer 11. I prefer like six to eight. Um, but I am I am happy now. Like we've seen every team play. So I, I hate the first couple of like the first game for every team because it's just guessing and it's educated guessing, but it's still just like, I don't know. I just want to see them play a regular season game and then, make better decisions
2: yeah totally agreed and there are certain things too about this slate where there are players that i do think are mispriced based on what we saw from the first game of the year or players that disappointed in the first game of the year that also led to really depressed pricing so i'm uh, interested to see what your thoughts are on some of these players and 11 games so let's just get right into it starting with the san antonio spurs against the indiana pacers now on the Spurs side of the game this was the chalk on wednesday for the first big slate of the year we would Keldon Johnson, Devin Vassell, Trey Jones. These guys were all picking up massive amounts of ownership. For today, they have been priced up a little bit, so it's not quite the same amount of chalk going to these guys. But with that said, there's still certainly some ownership going to uh, these guys. we got Vassell projected for 34% ownership right now. Yaka Purtle, 24%. Keldon Johnson, 24%. It's, so once again, popular, but not quite the 30-plus percent numbers we we're seeing projected on the other day. What stands out to you from the Spurs for this late? And how did what happened in the first game influence that?
3: Yeah, I mean, also a more difficult matchup here. Like the the first night you had them in Charlotte. That had all the potential to just be a track meet, back and forth game between two awful teams that play no defense. Uh, Here you're at least playing a real NBA team in Philadelphia. Uh, But like you said, those prices came up a little bit as No, it's the uh, Pacers. Wait. Yep, I can't read
2: yeah, I, I was I was confused, too, especially because the other day when we were doing the show and I fucked up the matchups to start the show. So I was like, oh, don't tell me I fucked this up again right out of the gate. So even yeah, one, I don't,
3: even, 1-1 I don't even know. I don't even know what I looked at. Um, <laughs> I was like that. Yeah, I was like, that's weird. But anyway, um, so take that back. Not a real NBA team. Uh, still a good match. <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't want to take too much away from the other day, at least on the negative side, like. We know that Trey Jones and Devin, Devin Vassell may not be the best NBA players. They're not bad, um, but they're close to fantasy point per minute guys. You lost some playing time in that game. Uh, Trey Jones lost like five minutes at the end of the fourth quarter, uh, potentially. Devin Vassell, same thing. So I expect them still, if this game's competitive, to be getting around 30 minutes, maybe a little bit more. Um, and, you know, like I was saying, without DeJounte Murray, without Devin or Derek White, man, I'm all over the place. Um, Without Derek White, uh, they're they're both like 0.95 to one fantasy point per minute, guys. Uh, So I don't want to read too much into what they did the other day. Obviously, Trey Jones kind of ended up getting there towards the end of the game anyway. Devin Vassell sucked, but uh, they're still good values. Uh, I do think, you know, them being a little bit more expensive does deserve to drive the price down a little bit.
2: Yeah. And as for the matchup against the Pacers also, no Miles Turner in what on paper seems like a tank move, but he actually got hurt and one of the weirdest injuries ever. I don't know how this only happens in basketball and not in other sports. But we we saw Miles Turner like tripped over a basketball and stepped on a ball boy's foot or something before the first game of the season. So he's injured and he is definitely the best defensive player on the Pacers. So that is one thing that makes the matchup a little bit easier for the Spurs than it otherwise would have been. But also, it's it's an easy matchup either way because the Pacers just not our team that is going to aggressively looking to win basketball games this year, but on the Pacer side, miles Turner is still out. Jalen Smith is questionable. He got hurt towards the tail end of, of last game. So let's start this. Assuming Jalen Smith is in, how would he look as a value play with miles Turner out? And then we'll talk about what happens if neither of them
3: play. So, yeah, if he's in, I think he looks good because you would expect Tim one, like the minutes just become more secure. And then two, there's more rebound, not the miles Turner is, you know, the, the biggest rebounder, but there are more rebounds to go around, especially if they're going with, you know, Terry Taylor in Turner's place, like they did last game. He's not exactly a big dude. So um it, it would make Jalen Smith look better. Uh, the big thing for me would just be the solidifying the minutes, because if like when Miles Turner is in, we know where we expect Jalen Smith to start, but then you're just going to have a team that doesn't care about winning and that has plenty of bodies. They can just rotate through there based on how games are going. When you take out Miles Turner, that's a lot of minutes that need to be soaked up by Isaiah Jackson, Terry Taylor, O'Shea Brissett, so it makes it more difficult to just randomly remove Jalen Smith from the floor. Um, He had abbreviated first half rotations because of foul trouble, but then you got, you know, a normal second half rotation where he played the first seven minutes of the third. He closed for the final basically nine minutes of that game. I think if he's able to avoid foul trouble and, you know, if he's good to go, you're probably looking at 30 minutes or so from someone that averages over a fantasy point per minute.
2: Yeah, a couple things that stood out. Number one, like you said, the foul trouble. So we only played 22 minutes, but even in those 22 minutes, 29% usage rate. He took 14 shots. So we finished with 30 fantasy points, even in the limited minutes. If he didn't get into foul trouble, he was going to destroy that slate, I think, against the Washington Wizards. And as long as he's in the lineup, no concerns about the knee, I would expect pretty good things for him. Uh, tonight but who do you think would start in his place if he's not able to play do we just assume isaiah jackson starts and plays as many minutes as possible
3: my assumption is isaiah jackson um i again it's indiana like they can kind of do whatever the hell they want but we had seen in the preseason that isaiah jackson was backing up miles turner i think when turner went down they kind of just threw in terry taylor you know let jalen smith play the five basically but if you take jalen smith out too like that's a really small lineup if you're going to go with o'shea So I assume it's going to be Isaiah Jackson.
2: Yeah, I think that's a reasonable assumption. He was also the first guy to check in when Jalen Smith got into foul trouble the other day, which is also a good indication that he's the guy directly behind him. And then the other guy who looked really good for the first late of the year and somebody who I have bets on when most improved player of the year this season, Terry's Halliburton. I think he's a stud. I think he's a future all-star. And there's just nobody else to handle the ball on this team, really. Buddy Heald, I guess, is their second best player right now, but he's primarily going to be playing off-ball. So Halliburton, the assists are going to be there for him all year. If I'm not mistaken, actually, he had the most potential assists of anybody on the first slate of the year. He only finished with seven, but that was out of 21 potential assists because most of this team is terrible and can't make shots. But something else too, 26 points for Tyrese Halliburton on a 25% usage rate. He's going to be a stud for fantasy this year. He is underpriced on DraftKings and FanDuel, one of my favorite plays on this slate.
3: Yeah, right there with you. Uh, he's just... Really, really good. And I enjoyed, as someone that really hated on the Kings for making that trade, I enjoyed Demonis Sabonis being absolutely awful opening night <laughs> while Halliburton was great. Um, But yeah, like his price tag came up a bit, you know, went up like 10% or so, but 7,900 I think is still just a little bit inexpensive for him given everything he brings to the table for this team. You know he's going to get a ton of assist opportunities. He's a good enough scorer as well. There's just multiple ways for him to get there. And then there's going to be nights where he just puts it all together and you get the assists, you get the scoring, you get everything. Those nights will probably be few and far between because the Pacers suck, but Uh, The the upside is certainly there. He looks really good. Uh, Since joining Indiana last year, 1.14 DraftKings points per minute for Halliburton.
2: Yeah, and uh, by the way, in the initial build that I did this morning, I ended up getting to him about double the field. He's projected for 18% ownership. I got him in 37% of my lineups. Then even over on FanDuel, where he is projected to be on the mid 20% ownership range, I still got overweight to that number on FanDuel as well. So Halliburton's going to be a core play for me. One of my favorite plays on the slate. Uh, anybody else, any of the other role players for Indiana stand out
3: to you? Um, he, I mean, he holds kind of interesting just because he has the potential to get hot. And if he does, you know, he's going to get up plenty of, of shots. Um, but his price tags also come up to 6,400. Uh, Matt Matherin played really, really well in the opener. He's somebody that I find interesting. Like he also played nearly twenty eight minutes in that game. So it's nice to see the minutes can be there too. On DraftKings though, he's fifty five hundred. So I think that's problematic. Um on FanDuel the other day, I know he was cheaper. I'm looking now. Do you know off the top of your head how much he is on in the end? Uh he's forty three hundred on FanDuel. So if you want to take some shots on him on FanDuel, I think that's fine. He looked really good in the preseason as a scorer. He looked very good against Washington as a scorer. Um, so I do think that there is some upside for him there. The minutes looked good. Uh, I think just, you know, difficult at 5,500 on draft to get there.
2: Yeah. in the, in the run I did this morning, which by the way, is just how I'm projecting players. Like nothing else is being taken into account for. I actually got to Matherin in 15% of those lineups. And that is with him projected 4.5% ownership. So, at least as of now, if this ownership was to change, he'd be one of my favorite contrarian plays. 0.5% ownership for him, considering his role in the first game. Like, that is way under-owned, and he's underpriced.
3: Yeah. And um, also, I don't know if we specifically mentioned it, but if Terry Taylor starts again, that's still a reasonable value. Uh, he's 3,600. he played 24 minutes, didn't get the clo- didn't get any fourth quarter run against Washington. I think that is certainly a possibility again where you know, he just starts, plays 24 minutes, but uh, he's cheap enough where there is still some value there.
2: All right, moving on to the next game. It is the New Orleans Pelicans against the Charlotte Hornets We' missing LaMelo ball. Now starting with the New Orleans side of the game, there's nobody that projects out crazy well individually we've got some of the pricing here Ingram McCollum Zion all fairly expensive but I think Zion has potential to be an MVP candidate type player this year and nobody is rostering him to open up the season now maybe there's a little bit concern about his playing time it did look like he was playing slightly shorter rotations in the first half of the game against the Nets it wouldn't be all that surprising if the Pelicans are hesitant to play him you know 36 minutes or anything like that out of the gate but I think his upside is crazy high. And if he is only going to be 0.3% owned by the time we get to lock, he's a good payup to be contrarian option.
3: Yeah. I don't have any issue with that. Um, we got the report before the game the other day that he wasn't going to be on a minutes limit. And it was just like, yes, he is like, it's, it, it's <laughs> not going to be, you know, 22 minutes or anything, but uh, Zion's not going to go play 36 minutes. And he didn't. And I don't think anybody should have expected him to, but to your point, he is really good. And he did lose basically four minutes to garbage time. So, Maybe he would have played 34 minutes, in which case that makes him look even more appealing. He had a 34.8% usage rate. I think New Orleans is gonna be a really difficult team to rely on anybody individually on a night to night basis because they just have a lot of mouths to feed, a lot of really good players. So I think you're gonna see some volatility there where, um, you know, Zion, some nights. ...ends up not being the guy or Brandon Ingram some nights, you know, Ingram game one had a 35.8% usage rate. McCollum and and Joe Val were at 25. Maybe sometimes you'll see Ingram at 25, McCollum at, you know, 30-something. So I do think you're going to see some volatility in there, but what that does is it drives down the median projection, but it doesn't do anything to cap their ceilings. Like, it it just means that, you know, CJ McCollum, Brandon Ingram, Zion Williamson, they all project a little bit lower than they would if one or two of those other guys were out, but they still have the ability to just go out there and throw up massive games any given night. Um, you know, you're not going to have like this even distribution of fantasy production in every single game. It's more so that it's going to even out over a large sample. So game to game, it just creates the opportunity to take advantage of these guys at low ownership. Obviously, you have a really, really good matchup here. Um, I'm with you. I think Zion at low ownership is worth taking a chance on, and I think McCollum and Ingram look pretty good as well.
2: Yeah, 0.3% projected ownership for Zion on D carry. Right now. FanDuel where he's less expensive, $8,800 still only projected for 1% ownership. I like him a whole bunch on Fandle I actually got to him in about 12% of my lineups, which at 1% ownership. Another pretty good looking GPP play to me. Uh, let's talk about the other side of the game where the Charlotte Hornets, there's no LaMelo ball for them. They've been listing him as just out like on a day-to-day basis. It seems like he's going to be out for an extended period of time with the grade two ankle injury, but in his absence, Kelly Oubre moved into the starting lineup. Terry Rozier played a big role. Gordon Hayward also played an expanded role. The minutes in that game also got a little fudged up because it was a game against the Spurs where it was massively one-sided. The Spurs are just going to absolutely suck this year. They are going to be <laughs> so beyond terrible. It, ter- also, Greg Popovich is last year. I can't believe they're making him go through this, but we've got this team going up against the Pelicans, and it should be fairly high scoring. The total is 229 and a half, one of the highest totals of the entire slate. What stands out from the Charlotte side?
3: I think it's pretty similar to what we saw against uh, San Antonio, with the exception that now they're playing a real NBA team. Um, and I actually have it right this time. They're playing a real NBA team. So <laughs> um, it, it's still appealing players. And I think the the trade-off is, you know, yeah, they're playing a good team, but now Terry Rozier is only getting 13% ownership. His salary came up like $400. Hayward's at 14%. Oubre's at 11%. Those guys are still pretty appealing. You know, if they do manage to hang in this game, you're looking at, you know, 30 something minutes from Rozier, probably the same thing for Hayward. Um, Kelly Oubre certainly not afraid to shoot the ball. He only played 23 minutes in the opener, but he dealt with some third quarter foul trouble. So uh, that he he dealt with some first half foul trouble as well. So really affected his playing time. I think all three of those players at low ownership seem like pretty appealing tournament options. This seems like a good game in general to target in tournaments from a standpoint of, you know, maybe there isn't, there aren't that many guys from this game that are like your highest owned across all of your lineups, but this is a really useful game. I think for just mixing in lower owned guys that still have really high ceilings.
2: Yeah. I think that does totally make sense to me. There's a game that's expected to be really high paced, high scoring, and there isn't that much ownership. You know, you got Rogier projected for double digit ownership, but by and large part, this is not a game that's expected to be popular, but a lot of points are supposed to be scored in this one. And by the way, if you guys want access to all of the tools that we have projections ownership projections, not just for NBA, but pretty much all of the DFS sports out there, we've got you covered over at stochastic.com. And if you sign up using the promo code hardwood, you are going to get 10 days of projections for all the sports for only $10. That also is going to come with our new lineup generator, which is a really useful way. If you guys are short on time, or if you just want the simplest way to get lineups, there's going to be a couple of different buttons. You click to customize in terms of you playing uh, tournaments, what size tournaments are playing and all that. And then you're going to get lineups that, based on our simulations, are projected to finish in the top 20% of GPP. So it's a really useful tool that you guys should check out. And when you're signing up, use the promo code HARDWOOD, $10 for 10 days of all of our projections and tools for all the sports out there. Next game that we have here on the slate is the Chicago Bulls against the Washington Wizards. Now, starting with the Chicago Bulls side of the game, Zach Levine out again, pretty concerning to me that we're now – Uh, Two games into the season, Levine has been ruled out basically for what they're calling rest, despite having offseason knee surgery. So something doesn't really appear to be right there. They did pull off a somewhat surprising upset win over the Miami Heat in the first game of the year. We saw a really big role for DeMar DeRozan in that spot. So DeRozan, Vooch, each of them picking up double digit ownership today. Are these good players to go to?
3: I think so. Um, there's just elevated upside when you take Zach Levine out. And then the the main reason that you didn't get much ownership going to them on the opening night slate, well, there were a couple of reasons. One, you had pricing like Bam Adebayo at 6400 But also, you just had a difficult matchup against Miami. So that's going to drive down the projection at least a little bit for guys like the Rosen and Vooch. Now you get the matchup with Washington, which is not as concerning. Uh, DeRozan, massive usage without Levine. uh, Also, you know, can take on an elevated playmaking role without Lonzo out there. Vooch should see an uptick in in usage as well. So both of them look very good to me. I think that they deserve the ownership they're getting. You have small forward and power forward eligibility for DeRozan, which is nice. Center only for Vooch, but he's also only $7,500. So that looks good as well. Uh, DeRozan played 36 minutes out of the gate. Vooch played 33. So I think they both look very good.
2: Yeah, uh, same. I don't have any issues with either of them. Both guys that I got to not like crazy different from the field. I think the, you know, 11% ownership on Vooch, 17% on DeRozan seems about reasonable to me. As far as the role players go, I didn't really get to them at all. I, I do think like Desunmu, he's going to play an expanded role. Caruso is, is in line for an extended role. Patrick Williams also. But none of these guys were quite good enough value plays to make it into any kind of meaningful amount of lineups that I crunched this morning. Do you like any of the role players for Chicago outside of the stars?
3: I see it the same way, and it's reflected that way in ownership as well. I think that they are reasonable. It's just that they're correctly priced. You know, Caruso at 4600 the Sunmu at 5500 um, They are going to play elevated roles without Levine. Uh, same for Kobe White at 4100 but but um, they're pretty much priced where they're supposed to be. And with Kobe White, like, he played 24 minutes last game, but you have to keep in mind that this isn't the same Bulls team from a couple of years ago where when Kobe White would get to play, his job was just to go out there and chuck up shots. Like he's still dealing with Vooch and DeRozan now. His, you know, He had, I think, a 19% usage rate last game. That's pretty much in line with what I would expect. The one thing I would mention from the bench, and I don't think it's particularly actionable on a slate of this size, but if this were a smaller slate, I'd be really interested in Drummond at only 4,500 because there's just so much upside for him if Vooch gets in foul trouble or anything weird happens as far as the rotation goes. Like, If Drummond gets the minutes, he's just gonna absolutely destroy this team. And even in his, you know, 15 minutes, he probably does reasonably well for 4,500. But the issue is just with it being an 11 games late, there's gonna be so many guys that look better that I don't think I can actually really get to him.
0: What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers.
1: Every day we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol,
2: let's talk about the other side, the Washington wizards who uh, nearly gave me a heart attack in the first game of the year because miles Turner gets scratched from that game. So I end up betting the wizards immediately. Those are the situations that I'm always betting for NBA purposes. So I have a bet on the wizards with a lot of closing line value after Turner gets hurt in that spot. And the wizards are up by like 15 with a minute left. And all of a sudden the, the pacers start getting threes, the Wizards are throwing around, are throwing inbounds passes away. And The Pacers had a chance to tie the game. Tyrese Halliburton had a three-point attempt that would have tied the game. Luckily, he missed it, and uh, the crisis was avoided. But all that aside, the one thing that I do have to take away from, at least to some extent, in that game, uh, Christoph Sporzingis apparently hurt his ankle prior to the game. He's not on the injury report today, didn't end up being an issue, but played 32 minutes. I do wonder if he might have played a couple more minutes had it not been for him rolling his ankle in the pregame warm-ups. Is there anything that really stands out to you about washington because individually i actually really do like a lot of these players but i, I find the pricing to be pretty fair
3: yeah that's the issue i have as well um kind of n- nothing from game one really changed my opinion that i had going into game one where i actually think washington has a lot of players that are good fantasy players it's just that they're all playing together right now and until you get injuries or a decrease in pricing it's probably going to be tough to really want to get there for example bradley beal uh, you did actually get a decrease in pricing he dropped like a thousand dollars on DraftKings from last game but in game one he had a 23 percent usage rate and the wizards broadcasters during that game were even kind of talking about like you know it's good to see beal actually have competent teammates but also like this is gonna be an adjustment for beal and then after the game beal was like look i'm happy to just be able to pass the ball to guys and like actually get back to getting like some catch and shoot threes and not have to do everything offensively. So, from like a team standpoint, I think that's really good. From a DFS standpoint, it's going to be really frustrating because you're just not going to be able to rely on Bradley Beal night in and night out to go have a 33% usage rate. I do think Porzingis at 7,800 is somewhat interesting. We know he's a really good point per minute guy. He averaged one and a half DraftKings points per minute with Washington last year. That was without Beal, um, but still had a 24 and percent usage rate last game. He's going to have plenty of rebounding opportunities here. Uh, same goes for Kyle Kuzma as far as rebounding goes. Those guys should pretty much get whatever they want. Um, you obviously get some block upside with Porzingis as well. So in tournaments, you know, somebody like Porzingis, I think is probably my favorite guy from Washington. Beal and Kuzma are, are reasonable, Morris is reasonable, but there's nobody that really stands out just because you expect them to cut into each other so much.
2: Yeah, on on DraftKings, by the way, even with the price discount for Bradley Beal, he was just more overpriced than anything mm-hmm. in the first game of the slate relative to other guys, made it really hard to get to him. On FanDuel, he's only eighty two hundred. I actually find that to be a pretty decent price point. Only projected for five percent ownership, uh, but still, I got to him eight percent in the build I did this morning. So it's not like he was a core player or anything. But yeah, 8, and for... uh, okay, just to ahead.
3: piggyback your your point on Beal, because I you know I'd mentioned his his salary falling too. Um, that's not a situation where I'm like, oh, his salary fell because he had one bad game. Like jump on it. When he was at 9,600 going into last game, he was showing up in my optimal lineup like literally 1% of the time. So him dropping to 8,600 is just like, okay, now he's getting closer to where I think he should be. It's not one of those situations where it's just like, oh, this guy had one bad game. Like, go jam him in every lineup.
2: Yeah, that's how I see it as well. An $8,200 price tag on FanDuel, 86 on DK, more or less fair. It's just there's a lot of guys to roster on this slate, 11 games. And uh, in my he's going to be in my player pool, but not really a priority in any kind of way. And like you said, some upside in Porzingis. How much I actually get to them remains to be seen later on in the day, but I think they're two guys that are playable but are are not going to be priorities. They're kind of like
3: the Pelicans light to me.
2: Yeah, I think that makes sense. Like, obviously,
3: I like the players on the Pelicans more, but um, in terms of, like, talent and and DFS production, but it's just a bunch of guys where any given game, they have the potential to go off, but for the most part, they're just going to cut into each other enough where it's tough to trust them.
2: Yeah, no, I I think that does totally make sense, and it's a team that at least out of the gate, I don't anticipate I'm going to get a ton of exposure to, but once some of these players start to get injured, like Porzingis at some point, probably going to miss games from the Pelicans. One of those guys is going to miss games. And some of those other guys are going to stand out more, but as of right now, it's going to be hard to, hard to really think any of those guys are going to carry the bulk of the usage.
3: On a complete side note, um, Keep an eye on, like, just sort of what Porzingis is doing early in the year. I happened to catch an interview with him after the Wizards game uh, the other day, and he said that he stopped lifting weights. He started working, like, solely on mobility and stuff. He thinks it's better for his body. But then he also said that he got into, like, analytics for the first time in the offseason and is, like, he was, like, just watch. He's, like, my shot chart's going to look different, and, like, blah, blah, blah. So I don't know. It's It kind of sounded like when you hear pitchers talk and then you're, like, oh, shit, this guy just got a lot better. <laughs>
2: Yeah, it's definitely a possibility. Although it's kind of weird for basketball because sometimes it almost helps if they're idiots because the usage will be really high. If yeah. if they have an understanding of what a good shot is, it just mean they it might just mean they shoot
3: less. Well, the uh the example Porzingis used was really funny to me. Like it was it, something I would have never thought about. He was talking about his three pointers and um he was like, I've always taken deep threes because I can and I don't know. He's like, it looks cool. You like to practice it. And then he was like, but like, I was digging into all this stuff. And I realized that like, I'm seven foot three. I should literally have my toes like up against the three point line. When I shoot threes, there's no reason for me to be deeper. So it's like stuff like that, where um, I don't know, maybe he shoots better from three this year.
2: Yeah, certainly a possibility at the very least. I think it's going to help Washington. I don't think that they're going to be like a surefire playoff team or anything like that, just because the East is so loaded and deep this year but I think that they're probably going to be in the play in game and they could compete for a playoff spot which is probably a lot higher than than the majority of people. I think this is a pretty solid squad that Washington has put together health bearing cuz they still need Porzingis to stay healthy which who knows if that does or doesn't happen. Uh, next game here Toronto Raptors taking on the Brooklyn Nets and I, I'm I'm really interested to hear what you think about the Nets but first we have to start with the Toronto side of the game and a guy that I was pretty high on as a contrarian play for the first game of the year, and I'm going to be going back to again today, is Scotty Barnes. His role in the first game of the year, he does a little bit of everything. I really was, I was really surprised at the amount that the ball was in his hands, though. So it was a 23% usage rate, but also 7 assists. So it does look like he's going to be a primary facilitator for this team this season and another team that's pretty spread out in terms of where their production is because they got Pascal Siakam, Fred Van Vliet, Scotty Barnes, OG Ananobi, but the pricing here is pretty favorable. Scotty Barnes, $6,300 on DK, $6,600 on FanDuel. It stands to reason a player who won rookie of the year and was really well regarded going into the draft is going to be better in his sophomore year than his rookie year. I think this is a breakout year for Scotty Barnes even more so than last year, and I'm going to continue to be overweight on him to open up the season.
3: Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, We had talked about him the other day, and it's still, like, he's point guard small forward on DraftKings, too, which is really nice. It allows you to fit him into a bunch of different uh, roster spots. The usage is nice. He's going to have the ball in his hands. Everything looks good there. Um, OG Ananobi, I would mentioned him the other day. Uh, He came through with a big game as well. I prefer Barnes, but also I think, you know, Ananobi at low ownership is a reasonable option as well. Uh, Should play a ton of minutes. And that's the nice thing about Toronto in general is Nick Nurse hates these dudes, and uh, they're going to (laughs) play a lot.
2: Yeah, it's I don't know if he's going to change that this year because he totally wore his team down by the end of the year. If Fred VanVleet wasn't able to play multiple games a a week, basically, at the end of last year because he was playing 40 minutes per game for the first three quarters of the season. But at least for now, it looks like it's going to at least stay fairly high minutes to open up the year. So uh, with that being the case, I like getting behind these guys. And I'm going to be projecting at least the start of the year, guys like Gary Trent, OG Ananobi, Scotty Barnes, Fred VanVleet, Siakam, these guys look like they're going to be getting 36-plus minutes or so, each of them every night. And that's minutes that we can't really rely on from other teams in with with regularity. So that's just going to make some of these guys look a little bit better than other players just because they're getting two to three more minutes.
3: Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, it's like there's, there's plenty of good players that are going to end up playing those 36, 37 minutes, but it's that you can completely trust the Toronto guys to do it, barring foul trouble or injury.
2: Yeah, and uh, something that doesn't look like we said Nick Nurse, kind of what he does, don't think that's going to change. So I think there's merit to Ananobi, Barnes, Van Vliet, Siakam. Siakam is fairly popular, though, in the build I did this morning, both DraftKings and FanDuel. I came in a little bit underweight to the field. The priority for me was Scotty Barnes. I was about double the field on him. Uh, any Anybody else from Toronto that really stands out to you?
3: So I was just going to point out, too, it's interesting. Um, so Barnes, did, Barnes led the team with nine potential assists, um, and he also played like five to six fewer minutes than Van Vliet and Ananobi. So per minute, you know, it's even higher, but Van Vliet had eight and so did OG Ananobi. So it's kind of interesting that like Ananobi was involved there as well. Um, But, you know, again, to your point, fewer minutes played for Scottie Barnes and still led the team in potential assists. Uh, You mentioned Siakam. I think he's fine. Like he looks good. His price tag came up a little bit. Uh, Gary Trent, you know, always capable of getting hot. But for me, I think the priorities are Barnes, Ananobi, and then I think Trent's last for me out of the five starters. Um, not yeah, even sure. because I dislike him, just because at that price point, I'm going to get to Barnes and then it'll be first.
2: All right, let's talk about the net side of the game. Uh, I'm just going to say this. Ben Simmons is one of my favorite tournament plays on the slate. I'm sure he's going to end up wrecking me. But he is so cheap on DraftKings and FanDuel, and he is so much more talented than the public wants to believe he is. He's $6,500 and projected for 5% ownership over on FanDuel. On DraftKings at $6,500, he's projected for 3% ownership. It's hard to know how he fits into a roster with, be- with, with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. It stands to reason that there isn't a ton of usage to go to Ben Simmons, but I think the assists are going to be there for him. The defensive stats are going to be there for him. Rebounds are also going to be there for him. I think the ultimate closing lineup for the Nets is going to have Ben Simmons playing center. I think that's what they ultimately want to do with him this year. And it's hard to really take away too much from the first game of the year because he got into early foul trouble. He had a really difficult time guarding Zion, which a lot of people are going to have trouble guarding Zion. Like, I don't know how anybody's supposed to guard him. He, he moves like a guard. He's gigantic. He's super fast. He's super strong. Ben Simmons just got in foul trouble really quickly. And then the game was a blowout, so he lost minutes on the tail end. I, I can't say with confidence that Ben Simmons is going to be an all-star this year or that he's not going to be an all-star. I just know what his potential upside is, and he's not priced anywhere near it, and nobody's playing him.
3: The thing that really stands out to me from that first game, you know, like you said, he only played 23 minutes because of, of foul trouble, or whatever. He had 12 potential assists. If you take that across 36 minutes, you're talking 18 and a half potential assists uh, per 36 for Ben Simmons. The next closest guy on the team was Edmund Sumner at seven and Kevin Durant at seven. Kyrie had five and played 10 minutes more than Simmons. Obviously, it's only one game, but we know the skill set that Simmons has. And so it's really. It makes me really optimistic from a fantasy standpoint to see that that's how it went, because obviously you could see it go where, yeah, Ben Simmons is a capable playmaker, but you also have Kyrie Irving, and they can just tell Ben Simmons to just focus on defense, basically, um, or they can, you know, let him have the ball in his hands. And at least in game one, they he had the ball in his hands a lot. He was in a lot of opportunities to to rack up assists. So you add that to, you know, the rebounding you know you're going to get, the defensive stats you know you're going to get, whatever scoring he does um yeah I agree with you that the upside's really high and it's like you said it certainly can burn you but a month from now there's a really good chance that you're just looking back and saying like man I can't believe Ben Simmons used to be $6,500 and nobody was playing him
2: and I know the narrative too because immediately I bring up Ben Simmons in chat the the first comments from uh from uh Izzy Izzy and Daddy here Ben Simmons is garbage FK coolers have we addressed that Ben Simmons also sucks at his job all right. So the last three years that Ben Simmons played it, last year, he didn't play any games. He was an all-star all of those years and he made an all NBA team. Like he is not nearly as bad as people make him out to be like, people think he's incapable of playing basketball. He's literally been an all-star each of the last three years that he's been, uh, that he's been healthy and played, which is a top, what, 25 player in the league, top 26 player. He's, he's better than people think he doesn't suck.
3: Yeah. And never has from a fantasy standpoint either. So Like, like I agree with you completely from a real life standpoint too, but even regardless, there's a lot of guys that actually do suck in real life that I am very happy to play.
2: Yeah. So Ben Simmons, uh, and once again, no, no data, no stats from last year, but the year before where he was playing still with Joel Embiid. So it was still a situation where he was playing with another high usage guy. It's not the same as Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant, but he was pretty regularly priced in like the mid eight K to low nine K range that year. I don't know that's what he's going to get up to this year, but he's really never been $6,500. And it's it's just an incorrect price tag for me. And nobody's going to want to play him because everybody hates him. So I'm going to play Ben Simmons today.
3: Right, like not, not to say it's the, because it, it's not, it's not the same team or anything like that, but 207 total career games with Joel Embiid, 1.21 DraftKings points per minute. Like the reason I mentioned it is just, he would have to fall so far off in terms of fantasy production to not be a good play at 6,500 as long as you assume he's playing normal starters minutes if he avoids foul trouble.
2: Yeah, to me, the one thing that people could reasonably point to because he's been good in the past is just he's had injuries. He missed all of last year. with He, he, had, he needed to have back surge in the offseason. If that's something that hampers him this year and he's just not the same athlete anymore, that's a possibility, but it kind of seems like he's priced as if that's the case, where he's super cheap, nobody's playing him. So I'm going to be taking an overweight stance on Ben Simmons. If it beats me, so be it. Yeah. As as um, also, up, as
3: far as his minutes go in game yeah. one, he played 14 minutes in the first half, missed the final like two minutes and 24 seconds. So call it, if if he avoided foul trouble, call it 16 minutes in the first half. You know, was on pace to play 32, which if you tell me he's going to play 30 or 32, I'm really interested.
2: Yeah, and then uh, let's talk about the payup guys who people, uh, rightfully so, also do like a whole bunch, and Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. There's upside individually in both of them, uh, but I find it hard to prioritize either Durant or Irving on this slate. FanDuel, they're a little bit less expensive. Kyrie, 8,600. Durant, 10,000. So those price tags, a little more palatable for me, but on DraftKings, I didn't really get to these guys a whole bunch with Kyrie at 9,300, Durant at 10,400. Do either of them stand out to you?
3: No, it's just really tough. I mean, they're obviously really talented, but the pricing is where it should be, if not a little bit too expensive. They cut into each other's production. Um, Yeah, like you're never mad if you get Kyrie or Durant in a lineup, but I doubt that I get too much of it.
2: All right, the next game we have here, the Boston Celtics against the Miami Heat. And for the Celtics, no Robert Williams. He is going to be out for a little bit here. Looks like he's going to miss about half the season. And that lets Al Horford being a massive piece of chalk in the first game of the season. And he got into immediate foul trouble against Joel Embiid. Not only did Joel Embiid get Al Horford into foul trouble, Noah Vonley came in, he got into foul trouble. Grant Williams came in, he got into foul trouble. So, And, and B- somehow really, Embiid
3: still sucked from a fantasy yeah,
2: standpoint. And, and he sucked last night from a fantasy standpoint yeah, as well. He more than sucked last night. So it's, it's hard to put too much weight into the playing time for Al Horford in the first game of the year. But with that said, nobody's really looking to roster him today. What is your expectation for the Celtics frontcourt now?
3: I, I mean, I'm expecting 30 minutes or so from Horford. Obviously, the foul trouble played a big role. Um, but in the games that he started without Williams last year, he averaged about 30 minutes. And keep in mind, that's going to include games where he was in foul trouble. So it's a situation where, like, if the game goes perfectly, maybe Horford plays even more. But on average, I'm expecting, you know, 28 to 30 minutes from Horford. He averaged over a fantasy point per minute. So I still think he looks decent at 5,400 as a bounce-back guy. Uh, this is obviously a an unappealing spot. But I still think he's a reasonable value at 5,400.
2: Yeah. And then as for the payup guys on the team, and also I think Al Horford's a, a, not an awful contrarian play to really troll people. It would be really funny if he had a big game today, just yeah. the the, <laughs> the outrage that would be on social media for Horford goes out and scores like 40 fantasy points today. As for the payup options, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, I found it hard to pay up for Jalen Brown when I was building my lineups, Jason Tatum. I think that he looks decent, but he's also projected for about 20% ownership today. And I think that ultimately there's going to be other guys that I'm going to just prefer spending up for matchup against Miami. Isn't the easiest one. So if you get to Tatum, that's okay with me, but the ownership to me is about fair. Anything else from Boston really stand out to you. It's a team that I'm not getting a ton of exposure to
3: Uh, the $5,300 price tag on Marcus smart seems pretty cheap as well. Um, I hate this matchup, but, He played 36 minutes last game. If he avoids foul trouble, I expect him to keep doing that. So him and Tatum are both just in situations where they are underpriced. It is also a tough matchup. They are also getting ownership. So they kind of come out as like neutral to me as far as I think they are getting the ownership they deserve. I don't think there's like a massive edge in those guys, but I do think they still look like good plays.
2: And let's move on to the heat side of the game. And Bam Adebayo, enemy number one in these parts. So Adebayo is $7,900 on FanDuel, about reasonable. Still a little underpriced on DraftKings at $7,100. I thought he was going to be crazy cheap for this slate. $7,100 is still on the cheap end for Bam Adebayo, but I thought he was going to be even cheaper than he was for the first game of the year. I think this is a good bounce-back spot for Bam Adebayo. I'm still looking to buy low on him, but it's a little different playing him at $7,100 on DK as opposed to the other slate where he was $6,400. So $700 price increase. I still like getting bam. I think it's a chance for him to bounce back. One thing I will add about the first game of the year, and I was kind of making jokes online about how he got broken in the playoffs last year because his playoff numbers were really weird in terms of that. And you you replied to me on Twitter about this. He just wasn't shooting in the playoffs. Like He wasn't even giving himself opportunities to score points.
4: In that case, I pronounce you lucky.
0: Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
2: He was taking shots in the first game of the season. They just didn't fall. He had a 27% usage rate. He took 15 shots and all of them were around the basket. He just only made five of them. Uh, More often than not, he's going to shoot better than 33% of the field. So good bounce back spot for Bam Adebayo. He's just not quite as strong of a value as he was in the first game of the year.
3: Yeah, I mean, it's a difficult matchup and the salary came up a bit, but I just view that first game from Bam so much differently than the general sentiment. Like everybody, and I get it because like everybody, myself included, jammed Bam into lineups, then he killed those lineups. I was pretty happy with the way that game went though. Like he played a bunch of minutes. He had like a 25% usage rate. Uh, One thing that does stand out as being a negative. He only had four potential assists. You know, he's somebody that ideally you're getting some assists from him in addition to the rebounding and the scoring. But if you tell me Bam is going to play 34 minutes, have like a 25% usage rate, he's not a $7,100 player. This is somebody that averaged one and a quarter DraftKings points per minute in the games that he played with Jimmy Butler last year. Uh, He's just not this cheap. And I, I'd just be a lot more concerned if he had had, you know, a 16, 17% usage rate, because then it would be like, all right, you know, did he just get the yips in the playoffs? And now he's just not going to shoot the ball anymore. But, you know, he had said in the off season that he needs to have a higher usage rate this year. Like they need him to, to be a scorer. He came out and tried in game one and just didn't shoot well, but it's not like he's, like you said too, it's not like he's shooting, like he's around the basket. It's just, Bad luck, basically, that he didn't score more uh, in game one. So I'm still very interested in Bam. I do love that he had a very high usage rate in that game.
2: Yeah, and I see it the same way, too. If if, I would be really concerned if Bam Adebayo had a bad game and just didn't take shots. Like, if he was 5 of 7 from the field, that's far worse to me than being 5 of 15 for fantasy purposes. For real-life purposes, obviously, you don't want your center going 5 of 15. But... To, to your point, if he's going to take that many shots, he's just going to make more than half of them, more often than not. So some positive regression going the way of Ben Simmons. Uh, I mean, for uh, for Bam Adebayo, I'm going to be overweight to him at his current number, but I don't know that he'll be like my most rostered player like he was the other day, just because the price has come up a little bit.
3: Yeah, no, uh, same boat for me. And obviously, like, there's a lot of opportunity costs to the position as well. So um, yeah, I, I doubt that he's my... He was my 2nd highest stone guy the other day. I doubt he's that high, but I'm I'm still very optimistic about him.
2: All right, let's move on to the next game, which is the Orlando Magic against the Atlanta Hawks from the Orlando side of the game. I think we just need a little bit more information here. Cole Anthony's questionable. To play. He got sick before the Magic's first game. He got ruled out it was two or three minutes before lock. So we saw a really big game for Boncaro in his first-ever NBA game. And to an extent, I mean, he's the first overall pick in the draft. I understand why people would be high on him and that he has potential to have a lot of upside but he's also to me about appropriately priced and if cole anthony plays there's just going to be less usage to go to boncaro if cole anthony's out then yeah changes the situation boncaro stands to gain more usage jalen suggs he played a pretty big role in the first game of the year uh, but what what is your take on this situation if the first assuming that cole anthony plays so
3: I I think the Anthony thing's interesting because it doesn't have to take usage away from Boncaro. Jalen Suggs had like a 28% usage rate in that game. So it's not like Suggs just came in and and didn't get any usage. Um, I think you're probably just going to see ups and downs from Boncaro because, one, it's not a very good team. Two, you have Jalen Suggs that's going to have games where he takes a bunch of shots. you are going to have Cole Anthony looking to get his. So I think you're going to see that usage kind of fluctuate. but. It's certainly a good sign that you know he had a 31.5% usage rate in that game. The offense ran through him. I don't think he stands out as like a, a priority or anything, but uh, certainly more interested in him today, I guess, than I was in game one. I had none of him in game one, so may not get any of him here either. But uh, I, I just don't know that Cole Anthony has a huge impact on him, given how much usage Suggs had in that game, too.
2: Yeah, and something else, too. Boncaro's priced up to $7,400 on DK. I don't have him projected poorly right now with Cole Anthony and I have him for 36 fantasy points. It's just hard for me to get up to that 7,400 price tag. Things will change if Cole Anthony is ruled out. Uh, But in terms of the rest of the team, anything else from Orlando really stand out to you? Because to me, there's just nobody I'm really going to be prioritizing if Cole Anthony plays.
3: So as expected, Franz Wagner did lead the team in potential assists with 10. Uh, He had five actual assists. Didn't have a great fantasy game. Um, Had a pretty high usage rate as well. So He's someone that I'm kind of interested in just because I think that he's being slept on a little bit, but at the same time, he's not at a great price tag. I think he's tough to prioritize. So uh, yeah, there's nothing that like really stands out to me, but any of Carter, Wagner, Boncaro are reasonable tournament plays at basically no ownership.
2: Now on the other side of the game, I'm still not totally sure what to make of the Atlanta Hawks. Trey Young, DeJounte, Murray actually both looked really good in the first game of the year. And there was a usage go around as well. Trey Young, still 33% usage rate in a game against the Houston Rockets. DeJounte Murray, his usage rate was a little bit lower at 23%, but he did everything for the team. He had assists, he had rebounds, he had defensive stats. So it looks like there's still going to be opportunity for Murray and Young. And I I watched most of this game just because I was interested to see the dynamic between the two of them. I was surprised how well they meshed in the first game that they played together. But we also have to take into account they played against the Houston Rockets, who might be the worst defensive team in the NBA. But at the same time, too, the Magic are another really shitty defensive team. So I think there's opportunity for both Trey Young and DeJounte Murray, but at least at their current price points, I'm not really getting to them a whole bunch.
3: So I'm really encouraged by the fact that you got 18 potential assists from Young and 17 from DeJounte Murray in the first game. You know, we had talked a lot about their minutes being staggered. And so you're going to get at least a nice chunk of minutes for each guy where the other one isn't on the floor and it's just all them. Um, but it was really nice to see that, you know, they, they both played like 38 minutes. So you're not talking about a huge they played a lot of minutes alongside each other. Um, and so it's nice to see that, like, you didn't have one of them really just drop off and and lose all of their peripherals. So uh, that does make me feel good. And I think the pricing is still, like, it's reasonable. Um, 9,700 on Young, 9,600 on Murray. You get a very high ceiling from both guys. But there's also just going to be better values and also guys that project a little bit higher so that's why you're getting like three and four percent ownership on them they look like good tournament plays they don't look like guys that i'll be building around just because it's gonna to be tough to you know consistently get to them in lineups
2: yeah one thing i will add though is so that was for DraftKings for fanduel purposes i don't understand Trey young's price point for some reason fanduel lowered trae young's salary to eighty seven hundred dollars at $8,700, I really do like Trey Young on FanDuel. I legitimately have no clue how that ends up being his price over on FanDuel. His salary went down from $9,100 to $87. $87, that's a totally different situation. So, Trey Young over on FanDuel, strong play to me. DK, Murray, Young, just neither of them are priorities. Young is going to be an actual priority on FanDuel.
3: Yeah, I agree with that. And then also from a DraftKings standpoint, 6,200 for John Collins is still really cheap. Played 33 to 34 minutes in the first game. Has power forward and center eligibility. Uh, He's the highest owned guy from this team on DraftKings and probably should be.
2: Yeah, and uh, same over on FanDuel as well. He was somebody who I got to in a chunk of lineups. He is $6,100 there with power forward and center eligibility. So both DK and FanDuel. John Collins, I think, looks like a pretty good play in a good matchup against the Orlando Magic. Next game is the Detroit Pistons against the New York Knicks. From the Pistons side of the game, Cade Cunningham got into really early foul trouble in the opening game of the year. So it's something that when we look at Cade Cunningham, I think we have to take that in consideration with his stats, which, by the way, we're still not terrible in the first game of the year, but his playing time had a lot more ceiling to it. He played 35 minutes. He might've been close to 40 minutes had it not been for the foul issues. Still 18 points, 10 assists, 24% usage rate. So in my initial run with Cade Cunningham, he is at $7,900 over on FanDuel. DraftKings he is priced at uh, $7,500. I got to him around 20% on both sites. He's somebody that once again, I think looks pretty solid.
3: I agree with you and I hate it because I I hate rostering him. He just burns me so much. But (laughs) 7,500 is just cheap for somebody that's going to play as many minutes as he is. And that is as productive on a per minute basis Uh, as he is. Um, You know, like you said, 35 minutes in game one could have been more potentially. Um, We saw him, you know, sort of pick it up as last year went on after a really slow start. Not the best matchup against the Knicks, but uh, he's just going to get so many opportunities on this team that 7,500 at modest 10% ownership just seems appealing. Uh, Led the team with 14 potential assists in his 35 minutes. So yeah, I'm going right back to Cade.
2: Yeah. And he wasn't great in the first game of the year but it's not like he sucked either i mean he scored 37 fantasy points on dk at a 7k price tag and once again if we give him those three or so extra minutes which i think that's being conservative saying he would have played three more minutes in that game it's hard to project him outright to play 40 it's just not out of the realm of possibilities especially with the pistons being a team that look like they're trying to make a playoff push this year but unrealistically but it's what the team's goals seem to be after trading for Bogdanovich. so i i do think that Cade cunningham his his game from the like he was probably going to score over 40 fantasy points if it wasn't for the foul trouble yeah agreed and then as for the rest of the team though i i just can't prioritize anybody there's i I don't know what to make of like the bogdanovich pay combination jaden ivy he looked kind of shitty in the first game of the year big man situation isaiah stewart and and duran both of them are going to be splitting minutes in the front court there's nobody i really like here outside of cade
3: no and the pricing doesn't really help either like Jaden Ivey played 32 minutes, had a low 20s usage rate. If you make him like 5K or 5,200 or something, I'm kind of interested in taking shots, but he's 6,100. So there's just other guys in that price range that you can be a lot more confident in their production. Um, Amadou Diallo's 3,300, but didn't play enough minutes for me to want to get there. Killian Hayes had 11 potential assists in 16 minutes, which is awesome, but 16 minutes at 4K for Killian Hayes, not going to happen. Bogdanovich looked really good. He's still 5,600. Bay is 5,700, but there's just nothing I can really prioritize here outside of Cade.
2: BetMGM is sponsoring today's show. And if you guys haven't signed up to BetMGM yet, here's why you are missing out. They are basically going to give you $200 for free when you make a new account with them. And this is only going to be a limited time offer. They only do this stuff for the start of new seasons. So if you haven't taken advantage, take advantage of it now. Here's what you need to do to get $200 from BetMGM. Sign up by clicking on the link below in the description box. You head on over to BetMGM place a $10 money line bet on any NHL game. And as long as there's a goal scored in that game, they're paying you 200 bucks. So you might not know anything about hockey. Cool. I don't know shit about hockey either, but it doesn't matter because this $10 bet is going to return $200 as long as there's a goal scored in the game. Just make sure to sign up by clicking on the link below. And then also we've got Odd Shopper where you could compare all the odds across different books. And that's also why you should be playing on different books because yesterday, for instance, I bet the under 23 and a half points for Kawhi Leonard. And it was going to hit the under no matter what, no matter where you placed it. But other books had it at 17 and a half. Why would you ever want to bet an under 17 and a half when an under 23 and a half is available somewhere else? So just sign up at different books and make sure you are getting the best odds possible. Next game on the slate, the Utah Jazz, coming off a pretty surprising win over the Denver Nuggets. The Jazz roster, I guess as we look at Utah as they're currently constructed, the roster probably isn't as bad as a lot of people would make it out to be after they traded away Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell in the offseason. But at some point, it does seem fairly likely Jordan Clarkson, Mike Conley, Kelly Olenek, players that could be on the move later on in the year. But at least for tonight in a matchup against the Minnesota Timberwolves, does anything stand out here?
3: Markinen played 33 minutes in the first game. He's still relatively inexpensive at 5,900. Uh, he's leading the way with 18 to 19% ownership on DraftKings. Makes sense to me. Um, you know, just a, a reasonable price tag on a good enough point-per-minute guy. Other than that, nobody really getting any ownership, uh, Jared Vanderbilt rebounds like an absolute madman, but can't stay out of foul trouble. I think he had like 12 rebounds or something in 18 minutes. Um, it was, I I don't remember the exact number, but I know it was insane. Um, so like he's someone where there is upside there as like a very low owned guy, but then he just is in foul trouble a lot and it's really tough to rely on him, but uh, there's not much that stands out as a priority for me outside of marketing.
2: Yeah, uh, so in terms and something else too about this team is the way it's constructed. I think the minutes are going to be really spread out. So we saw uh, Clarkson, who was not in foul trouble, didn't even close the game, and he ended up playing 29 minutes despite, despite starting. He didn't play all that much in the later stages of the game. Kelly Olinick played just 15 minutes. There was some foul trouble situations, but but, uh, but I still think it's just going to in general be really hard to project the minutes for guys outside of maybe Markin's minutes are consistent. I don't really know what to make of the playing time of anybody else. Like I didn't even know I didn't even think Rudy Gay was really going to be in the rotation and then he played a pretty significant role. I thought Taylor Horton Tucker was going to play a bigger role for this team. He played 14 minutes despite guys being in foul trouble. I, I just don't know what this rotation looks like, especially for a team that I really do think their goal is to
3: try to get win by Yama. I th- I thought Sexton would play a little bit more too. Um one thing I I guess the most interesting to me most interesting thing to me probably is that Olinick is $4,800 with power forward and center eligibility. We know he's capable of being a fantasy monster if he gets the minutes. And we really just can't get any read on what those minutes were going to be from game one, because he played a seven minute stint to open the game, picked up two fouls, went to the bench, um, came back in with nine minutes to go in the second quarter, picked up a third foul within three minutes, went back to the bench for the rest of the half. If he was going to play 16 minutes in the first half, like, barring foul trouble, he was basically playing a rotation where you were looking at 32 minutes or so from Kelly Olynyk. If Kelly Olynyk plays 32 minutes at 4800, he is going to be a really, really, really good play. The issue is, like, one, you're just, there's going to be games where he's in foul trouble. There's no guarantee that doesn't happen tonight. And then two, we... Can't be that confident in this team having a consistent rotation from game to game because they just have so many new pieces that I'm sure they're still trying to figure out how to piece together. But um, Olinik is the one that I guess I would point to where it's like there is some uncertainty here that creates a massive ceiling if things break your way.
2: Yeah. And I, I think, I think that actually totally does make sense with Kelly Olenek because the minutes, yeah, like you said, is 15, but he did foul out. Would he have played more if he got in a foul, if he didn't get into foul trouble? Certainly and i do think that's probably a hidden upside there that i should probably project him for more minutes and look at him as a potential gpp play especially only one percent ownership i think that's reasonable the rest of the players on the team it's just going to be hard for me to really nail down those minutes and then even for marketing despite looking good in that first game he's projecting nearly 20 percent ownership today i don't know that i really want to play him all that much when i'm going to start factoring in ownership later especially right. because Uh, yeah go ahead
3: yeah no I was gonna agree with you like to me he looks like the safest best however you want to phrase it play from Utah but like at 20 percent, okay cool like I can probably find other guys in that range that are lower owned
2: yeah and then something else to consider too is the Minnesota defense should be considerably better this year than it was last year because they added Rudy Gobert one of the best defensive players in the NBA now in terms of offense I think it remains to be seen how him and Carl Anthony Towns are going to mesh together but Also, kind of similar with the DeJounte Murray-Trey Young thing, the fit was as good as I think it could have looked for the first game of the year. Now, kind of also similar with the Trey Young- DeJounte Murray thing. They drew the Houston Rockets, and we saw the Utah Jazz get the Oklahoma City Thunder in their first game, but Carl Anthony Towns was handling the ball. He threw a couple alley-oops to Rudy Gobert, so the chemistry did look like it was there. Here's the issue, though. Pretty expensive across the board, and it's it's reasonable to think that just all the the pieces in here with Rudy Gobert now being in the mix, Kyle Anderson coming off the bench. I just don't know how much usage there's going to be for guys like Carl Anthony Towns, Anthony Edwards, D'Angelo Russell. So it's going to be hard for me to prioritize these guys really on any slates unless the pricing changes.
3: Yeah, that's pretty much where I'm at too. Um, also, one thing that is a net just that I I wanted to go back and see. Um, I had mentioned in the games that Russell played last year with Towns and Edwards and without Beverly, uh, he had a massive bump in his assist percentage. Didn't happen last game. Uh, He had fewer potential assists than Edwards and Towns. Obviously that's one game, but it does concern me a bit for Russell just because we know Edwards is a young player that certainly could just take on an expanding role going forward. Uh, Seeing Edwards with 15 potential assists in only 32 minutes, is really good for Anthony Edwards, but uh, potentially really bad for D'Angelo Russell and just sort of muddies the water even more on those guys.
2: Yeah, it's a team that I hardly got any exposure to. And not because I don't like the players, I really like the players. It's just everybody's kind of expensive across the board and it's going to be hard for me to get to them for that reason, especially on some of these earlier slates where there are some players that are a little bit underpriced or yeah. undervalued.
3: They're another kind of like Pelicans type team for me where I'm not, I don't expect any one guy from this team to be a priority, but. Um, I could see just, you know, using them in your lineups where like you have five, six chalky guys and it's like, all right, I need a player that has a high ceiling and isn't going to get much ownership. Anthony Edwards, you know, you work here.
0: With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.
2: pretty much the same way i'm seeing them as well a lot of teams are like that there's there's a lot of talent in the nba right now and there's a lot of really deep teams with multiple star players and that, that's certainly something that's going to make it a little hard to parse some of the usage in the early stages of some of these new look teams now the next team here we have the memphis grizzlies we skipped really? the knicks oh, oh what's that
3: we skipped the knicks
2: oh okay well to make this easy there's not that much i like from the knicks anyway
3: that's all right randall's cheap right
2: uh let me go back
3: I mean, he's getting, he's 8,400, but he's getting 4% ownership. The highest owned guy from the Knicks is Brunson at 5%. Um, To me, it's again, like if you land on Julius Randle, that's fine. But at the same time, like Jason Tatum is $400 more expensive than Julius Randle.
2: In the lineups I ran this morning, my most rostered Nick was Jalen Brunson, and I got 2% of him. So it's a team I don't, I don't really think I'm going to get. I didn't mean to skip over the Knicks. uh, But uh, if there was any team I was going to skip over, I'm happy it was them. Is there anything else from the team that that you want to talk about or stands out? My, and my bad to the Knicks. I didn't. I didn't mean to do that.
3: No, I don't think so. Um, and Marie Sun said no McDaniel's talk. Wow. If we start talking about all the McDaniel's of the world, this slate, the show will not end before lineup before lineup slot.
2: Yeah. So uh, let me see in McDaniel's. How much of him? Like, if I had like one or two lineups with McDaniel's, that wouldn't surprise me. But that's not somebody who's going to be making it into a lot of my lineups. I could guarantee that.
3: Yeah, I mean, he had a big game. He played a lot of minutes, but like, it's just very difficult for him to consistently produce. Is he, can he end up in a lineup like here and there? Sure. But if you start touching on all of those guys, this show will literally last 12 hours on an 11 game slate.
2: Out of 150 lineups, 300 lineups, 150 on DraftKings, 150 on FanDuel, I got Jaden McDaniels into zero of them on both sides. So it's, He's expensive and he's probably not going to play a very big role this year. He's in he, the mid 5K range. He's
3: 5,300. He's projected for 0.1% ownership.
2: Yeah, it's, it's, it's not somebody who's going to be a priority. If you're, if you're playing Jaden McDaniels at 0.1% ownership and he goes, scores a million fantasy points, cool. But I don't literally think he's any sort of priority on this slate. Where players could be a priority, though. Memphis Grizzlies against the Houston Rockets. So, with no Jaron Jackson Jr. in the front court for Memphis, and we have to keep in mind the game did go to overtime. But Santi Aldama played 39 minutes. He scored 40 fantasy points. He was fairly low owned in the first slate of the year, first full slate of the year, I should add. And he was somebody who made a massive difference in tournaments. How much do you buy into his role going forward with Triple J out?
3: I mean, I buy into the playing time. I don't buy into him just being this fantasy monster that we've seen, you know, I guess in the preseason and then obviously in Game One. Um, would have played like 34 minutes in regulation. Had a set, had around a 17 percent usage rate. Massive game, and like the upside is going to be there just because he's playing those minutes. But at the same time, he's also up to $5,100 now. I'm just not convinced that he's, you know, some great fantasy option. Like you're still dealing with Desmond Bain and John Morant from an offensive standpoint. You still have Steven Adams as a big, um, like I think Aldama's fine. Um, 8% makes sense to me.
2: And I do think a pretty good pivot off of him is Steven Adams, who's $5,300 on DraftKings. Now, the 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 center position is always loaded, so it's hard to say, like go out and play, you know, a whole bunch of Steven Adams, but I did it overweight to him in the first crunch I ran. And I also think he's only projected for 3% ownership. I wouldn't be surprised if Aldama ends up being much more popular than the current eight percent projected ownership just because he was such a difference maker in the first slate of the year. And I should also add here that Aldama's only forty three hundred dollars on FanDuel. I would not be surprised if he ends up being really popular on FanDuel at that price point. Just looking at how Aldama scored a lot of his fantasy points, what you said before, only 14% usage rate. This is not a guy who's going to be taking a massive amount of shots. The game also went to overtime, but rebound dependent, some defensive stats as well. If Steven Adams is somebody who pulls down 12, 15 rebounds or something like that, I think that cuts into Aldama's production in a pretty significant way. So I think Adams, if Aldama ends up being popular, is, is a pretty decent leverage
3: option. I agree with that. Um, Aldama was second on the team with 18 rebound chances. Adams was first with 23. Then Tillman with 16. Conchar with 15. Um, So, I mean, like, the opportunities were there. I think he's – I just think he's fine. Like, I think he's correctly priced. He's going to play a lot of minutes. He's going to get a lot of rebounding opportunities. I don't think he's going to be somebody that you just see consistently put up, you know, greater than one fantasy point per minute.
2: And then as for the other players on the team, Desmond Bain, John Morant. Desmond Bain looks a little bit better on FanDuel, and he does on DraftKings. FanDuel left his price point at $6,300. He's shooting guard and small forward eligibility. DK, only shooting guard eligibility in $6,900. He is picking up some ownership at 14%. I think that's reasonable. But on FanDuel, that's a core play for me, shooting guard and small forward eligibility with the price remaining cheap. Uh, Desmond Bain, John Morant, the two guys that we're expecting to pick up the most usage for now for Memphis – how do you like their their stars here?
3: Uh, I like them a lot because – or I'm assuming – what is the official status on – so Brooks is doubtful again. So assuming he doesn't play, I like them both a lot. Um, we talked about that a lot prior to the last game where like it was difficult to get to John Morant, but uh, he just sees such a bump without Dylan Brooks because there's nobody on his team stealing the ball from him. Uh, 10-1 is expensive, but he sees a really big bump without – uh, without Brooks he also led the team not surprisingly last game with 19 potential assists in his 38 minutes so I th- I still think he looks good and then Desmond Bain was kind of mediocre from a fantasy standpoint last game but he had a very high usage rate um, I'm seeing it at around 28 percent also a second on the team with 15 potential assists in the 37 and a half minutes he played a really good spot against Houston I like going right back to Desmond Bain here as well
2: he just didn't make the shots. He shot six of 22 from the field, three of 13 from three. He's a very efficient scorer and a very good three-point shooter. Uh, I don't know why his shooting numbers turned into a Dylan Brooks game when Dylan Brooks was out, but uh, Desmond Bain, as long as Dylan Brooks isn't in the picture, there's opportunity for more usage there. He's going to make a high percentage of those shots going forward. So uh, Desmond Bain, he's way underpriced on FanDuel with multi-position eligibility. One other thing,
3: just because I finally got the numbers to load. Um, Since the start of last season, so 399 minutes for Santi Aldama and 1,958 minutes for John Conchar, 0.85 DraftKings points per minute for Aldama, 0.84 for Conchar. Those are both like solid fantasy options. And that's why I think they still look reasonable at their increased uh, salaries given their playing time. Um, But just to reiterate, like these aren't brand new players that we don't know what they're going to do. They're probably going to even out to around 0.85 fantasy points per minute.
2: And on the other side of this game, there are players I really like. Kevin Porter Jr., uh, Jalen Green, Jabari Smith. Jabari Smith is $4,800 over on FanDuel. That is an incorrect price tag. On DK, he's more appropriately priced at $6,000, but at only 2% ownership, I'm willing to take a chance on just the, the overall talent here and the fact that he was a top overall pick in the draft. He played 33 minutes in the first game of the year. He wasn't very efficient with his shot he also got into some foul trouble picked up four personal fouls i think there's opportunity for jabari smith to play really big minutes and a lot of houston games are going to be really high scoring this year the total in this game is 330 is a 330, 232 and a half that's the highest on the slate there should be a lot of scoring in the game and nobody is all that expensive from houston
3: yeah i agree with you um you know i like the memphis side and i like the houston side quite a bit as well uh jabari smith at 6k on DraftKings, you know Probably about where he should be, but like you said, he's really cheap on Fanduel. Um, Bruno Fernando's salary came up to forty-four hundred on DraftKings. That's at least at a point where like it can go very poorly for you, but he still played twenty-six minutes. He was really productive in Game One. Uh, If they're gonna actually let him be the starting center and, you know, be on the plus side of a split with Shangun. then he's still got plenty of upside here. He's getting 15% ownership. You know, again, that's kind of a scary price tag for him just because depending on how the game is going, depending on how guys are playing, it shouldn't surprise anybody if you get the game where Fernando plays 20 minutes and Shangun plays 28 and 4,400, you can kind of be in trouble with, with Fernando. But the flip side of that is if Fernando's playing well, it seems like the minutes are his to get. And uh, so that is appealing. Kevin Porter Jr. at only 7K, 21% ownership, Makes a ton of sense. Led this team with 15 potential assists last game. Uh, he's over a fantasy point per minute guy going back to last season. Now you don't have Christian Wood. He's going to look really good. Jalen Green's salary came up $700, but he was one of the most underpriced guys on the last slate at 5,400. So still certainly willing to get to him at 12% ownership as well. He was second to Porter with nine potential assists in that first game. Uh, he was someone that took a huge step forward as his rookie year went on. I expect more of the same this year. So just a lot of pieces. To like from this Houston team,
2: yeah, and uh, one more note on green, and then we'll move on because we only have a few minutes left here. And then other shows coming up we've got the NFL on the contrary show, the NHA football show, we've got NBA Deeper Dive, NBA Live before lock later today. So, like the video and subscribe to the YouTube channel. But one more thought on Jalen Green he had a 29.4 percent usage rate in the first game. He was taking crazy shot attempts where it's like, Hey, look, Jalen Green has an open layup, but he's going to try to dunk from the free throw line. <laughs> like, if, if, he, if he just dials that back a little bit he's going to find it easier to be more efficient but the shot attempts were certainly there for him a couple games left to talk about the next one the phoenix suns against the portland trailblazers and the suns people were writing them off uh quite early in their first game of the season where there was the, these takes that like oh my god luca Doncic owns the suns he broke them in the playoffs and then the the suns end up coming back from a massive deficit and winning that game so I'm looking at the Phoenix Suns right here, particularly on FanDuel. Devin Booker, $8,300. Chris Paul, $7,400. Neither of them picking up ownership. I think that makes some semblance of sense. Over on DraftKings, Chris Paul, $7,100. That's a playable price point. $8,900 for Booker. I think that's about fair. I'm not really getting to him. But $7,100 for Chris Paul and uh, 73 dollars on FanDuel, I think that he's a, a decent-looking contrarian play with upside.
3: Yeah, I think it's a decent spot to get to. Again, like he's not somebody I don't expect to just be, you know, like, oh, Chris Paul is my highest stone guy or, or anything like that. But at 10% or 11%, that's a pretty decent spot to just say, you know, okay, well, I have these popular guys. I can save some ownership and go to Chris Paul. At least he gets, you know, has some upside. There are certainly guards that I like a little bit more in that price range, but um, certainly a solid option, good matchup and, and all of that. Um, in the opening game, he played 30 minutes, but didn't play down the stretch. Uh, so I would assume he plays more here. Yeah, do we have, a, do we have I, a reason he didn't play down the stretch? Uh,
2: I think no, not a specific one. I think just as they were just down a whole bunch in the game, and they came back with the bench unit, and I think they just kind of rolled. They just kind of rode with that for a little bit.
3: Okay, yeah, I mean the guys that closed that that makes sense. So Damian Lee played the entire fourth quarter. DeAndre Ayton played the entire fourth quarter, so it's not like he subbed in. Same for Bridges. Cameron Johnson, I think, got hurt, but yeah, one or the other, he never came back. Um, the only guy that subbed in in the fourth quarter was pain for Paul and then Booker. So, like, my, my assumption, based on the first half rotation, it looks like they were planning to sub Paul out where they did and then probably bring him back for, like, the final three to four minutes, and they just never brought him back.
2: Yeah, it was just the bench. We see teams do this sometimes. Yeah. The bench was playing really well. They just went with it. And, you know, they were down, like, 25 points at one point in that game and came back, and they just left with the bench. It was the first game of the year. This isn't, a, if it was a playoff game, I'm sure Chris Paul would have been in there, but they, they were just kind of playing what was working. And by the way, Cam Johnson, not on the injury report. He is expected to play today. Other side of the game, the Portland Trailblazers. I think this is a really underrated team coming into the year. I think people forget this is a team that had the longest consecutive streak of making the playoffs before last season. And people have just been dying for Damian Miller to go play somewhere else. There's been fake trades to put him on other teams for years now. It's kind of made people forget that he's actually good and this team is not terrible. But I also think because the players are kind of better here than expected, with Damian Lillard, Nurkic, Grant, Hart, Simons, this is another one of these teams where I think it's kind of hard to project the usage and nobody really stands out relative to their prices.
3: Yeah, I think Hart looks good. Like he he's pulling the most ownership by far. Twenty-five percent seems like a lot for him, but at the same time, he does have guard and forward eligibility on DraftKings at fifty four hundred. So I get why he's popular. Had like a 14% usage rate in game one. Um, you know, he he's just, you know, six potential assists, second on the team, but also 10 less than Damian Lillard, who led the team. He is someone that just kind of contributes in every category when he's out there. So it doesn't matter as much that he's a relatively low usage guy. He's just gonna be a nice piece that like holds your lineups together, I think. Um, outside of that, though, nobody getting a lot of ownership. Nurkic at 6,100, getting 6% or 7%. Grant's getting 5%. Dame's getting like none. But at the same time, I get it because he's like the same price as Young and Murray and you know, not that far behind Morant. So it's tough to get there. But uh, yeah, this is a team that I think there's a lot of upside in individual players. But again, it's just difficult to really pinpoint anyone outside of Josh Hart. And that has more to do with just him being a little bit mispriced.
2: Final game on the slate, we've got the Nuggets and the Warriors. And on the Denver side, Jokic was a little bit disappointing in the first game of the year. He was my most rostered pay up option, finished with 46 fantasy points against the Jazz and Uh, He also got into foul trouble in that spot. Didn't close the game either because it was a blowout. So we lost a couple minutes from that standpoint. Uh, We do have Michael Porter Jr. back in the mix for this team. He had no real minutes restriction. He played big minutes. Jamal Murray played very limited minutes in the first game though. So I'm looking at this team this way. Uh, I think that we should see Jamal Murray's minutes slowly start to climb, but I'm not really looking to roster him anytime soon. As for other guys on the roster, Bones Highland is okay from a salary-saving perspective because he's relatively cheap. Jokic always a good payup option but at the same time too i think he's going to be a little bit less productive this year than last year just because jamal murray and michael porter jr are in the mix with Jokic being more reasonably priced on DraftKings and fanduel today he's still the player i'm going to project for the most fantasy points but i'm not going to be jamming him in in the same way as i did on wednesday
1: the
3: issue is just that there's so many centers that are like half the price or you know two-thirds the price of of Jokic. so you're still getting what i think. Like you said, the, the highest projected guy on the slate. Like, can his production come down a bit? Sure, but you're still taught. He, he was up there with Giannis as the best point per minute guy in the league. If you're going to take him from 1.7, 1.8 fantasy points per minute to 1.6, that's still really, really good. And it's going to be like the best guy on every slate. Uh, he still led the team last game with 17 potential assists. He had a 27% usage rate, which was higher than everybody except Bones Highland. Um, he, you know, was still very, very heavily involved, even if a little bit less than last year. Uh, the biggest thing that makes it difficult for me to get to him a lot, though, and I still like him at 7%, but the thing that makes it the most difficult is just, I think you, you'll you end up building a lot of lineups where it's like, all right, this lineup with Jokic looks pretty good. And then it's like, well, I don't really like this one piece. What if I drop Jokic $4,000 to some 7K center and I can upgrade that piece I don't like to somebody a lot better? I think you're just going to get a lot of lineups that you like that way. And that's why he's 7% owned. So uh, basically, if you can get to Jokic, I would still be very confident in doing it. Um, but the fact that there's a lot of underpriced centers makes it a little bit more difficult.
2: Yeah, he's the player I've projected for the most fantasy points today, and I got to him 5% on my DraftKings run just because there's these other guys that look really good at the center position. There's a lot of them to play, so it did make it more difficult to get to him. In that end, you can only play a center in two spots, center and utility on DraftKings FanDuel, just the one cool. spot. So it is a little prohibitive getting to him for me. And then on the other side of the game, It's hard to prioritize anything from the Warriors. I know Steph Curry ended up being really good in the first game of the year after there was the fake report that he was going to be playing limited minutes. But still, Steph Curry is not as good of a fantasy producer as he is a real-life player. He has these games individually like he did in the first game of the year where he's hitting his shots, the assists, and the rebounds are there. But he's just not a guy who regularly puts up 60-plus fantasy points. He does it occasionally, but typically the ceiling and the floor is much higher on a guy like... Nicole Jokic or other pay-up options. There's nothing I'm really prioritizing from
3: the Warriors. No, me neither. You you summed it up well with Curry. Um, Obviously, he's got tournament winning upside anytime he steps on the floor. And typically, when he has those games, I just don't win the tournament that day because it's so difficult to get to him when he's He's always priced for his real-life talent level and for the fact that he can go win those tournaments, but he's not as good a point-per-minute guy as a lot of the guys he's priced around. Um, Similarly, you know, Jordan Poole looks okay. Draymond looks okay. None of these guys really stand out um, from Golden State. I did want to mention two, not related to Golden State things at all. Um, One, Gordon was tied with Jokic in game one for most rebound chances with 14. Just kind of interesting, like, if you need a mid-range guy to plug in, Aaron Gordon, you know, maybe. But what actually really stood out to me, and I hadn't realized it, Bruno Fernando had the most re- second most rebound chances total behind Ivica zubats um through everybody's you know through as of today and fernando played 25 minutes he averaged one rebound chance per minute in that game um just you know obviously not going to continue at that rate but pretty crazy to see
2: yeah so that is going to do it for us today guys more information coming for dfs we got everything covered today so check out all our football content today we got nba live before lock nba deeper dive later just like the video subscribe to the youtube channel we'll see you guys later